0: United Lutheran Seminary presents The Seminary Explores podcast. Conversations on faith, art, people, politics, theology, life, and more. With voices from around the corner and around the globe. Welcome to The Seminary Explores. I'm Katie Gibenhein. My guest is Ukrainian-American poet and essayist, Nicole Yerkaba. Nicole's book reviews poems, and essays have appeared in the Atlanta Review, Whiskey Island, Raven Chronicles, Appalachian Heritage, North of Oxford, the Southern Review of Books, and elsewhere. She holds an MFA from Lindenwood University. In 2020, she was a resident at Gulkistan Creative Center for the Arts in Iceland, and in 2020, she was a Tupelo Press 30 for 30 featured poet. Her poetry collection, Triscoticophobia, is forthcoming this year. Nicole teaches poetry workshops for Southern New Hampshire University and works as a career counselor for Blue Ridge Community College. She lives in West Virginia. Nicole, welcome to the Seminary Explorers. Thank you so much, Katie. So tell us where you are right now.
1: I am actually in Baltimore, Maryland, um, just um, off the Inner Harbor, um, heading to Patterson Park here in an hour or so to uh, the Baltimore
0: Ukrainian Festival. Perfect. It must feel like a kind of homecoming in a few different ways, I expect.
1: Yeah, it does. Uh, Baltimore is a special place for me, and the, the festival has been uh, an important part of my life for many years, so... Definitely glad to be back. (laughs)
0: Excellent. Well, would you like to start us off with a poem?
1: Sure. Um, My first poem is called Death in Ukraine Has Become More Accessible Than Salt.
0: Hmm.
1: And it opens with um, an epigraph from Heraclitus. The deathless are the dying. The dying are the deathless. One is living the other's death. One is dying into the other's life. Andri finds it in the marketplace, touches it with the tip of his boots, the ones his sister in England purchased on Amazon. Oleksandr notices it behind his flat. He spies it lying half naked on the grass, holding a bag of spilled groceries. Miroslava sees it in the cemetery, standing beside her parents as they select the plots they'll use in three days. Luba tastes it on freshly picked apricots, coated in oil from a smoldering tank. A soldier's hand clings to the hatch. Oksana shoves it into Russian soldiers' pockets, pushes it deep praying for their liberation. The soldiers shoulder rifles. Andri returns, carrying it on his back, its eyes blankly open, its mouth a loose black O. He dumps it on a cot and walks away. Olexandra buries it beside the swing set in the park, to the left of the flower bed, near a bench adorned with locks. Miroslava laughs at it. It stands at the front door knocking, three times, drawing her outside into a down jet's rain. Luba fingers it. She touches it on the icon she buries in a suitcase beneath a pair of jeans, three pairs of panties. Oksana faces it, its crimson eyes scouring her body as she washes in the last of the water she collected on Monday. Luba hands it to Miroslava on the day of Miroslava's mother's funeral. It sits hunched in a basket, knees drawn to its chest, beside the apricots Luba washed this morning. Oksana brushes its cheek, wipes it from Andri's brow, before Alexander closes the casket's lid. It escapes the casket, walks beside the villagers and Aksana, whispering. Mm,
0: thank you. Thank you for that. <clears throat> the word accessible takes on a completely different character here than I've ever heard accessible <laughs> used. <laughs> How recently have, did you write that poem? I actually wrote that poem in
1: June as part of a workshop I did at Kenyon College with um Dan Beachy-Quick. Mm, mm. So a couple months ago, okay. especially, uh, as I was deeply affected by the scenes of missiles in playgrounds and families burying their loved ones and and the soldiers, the fallen soldiers, arriving back to their cities and their villages.
0: Yeah. I have a question for you, which, which links sort of your the sense of being an American, Ukrainian, and also a poet and a West Virginian. <laughs> the, so these are three these are three kind of identities. I mean, obviously you have we all have many parts to our identities. So these are only three, but they are three significant parts for you. And I'm curious about um, assumptions that people make <laughs> about these things uh, and how you might either defy or align with some of these assumptions
1: <laughs> so that's a very I, I like this question um because so having grown up in the ukrainian american community in pennsylvania um my parents embarked on this journey to kind of like have a a more rural life. Um, They moved to West Virginia when I was a teenager with the intention of like, we're going to have a little homestead. And that never happened um, for a variety of reasons. But meanwhile, here we were living in West Virginia, separated from the Ukrainian American community Hmm. because we had, we had family in Baltimore. We would travel to Baltimore quite frequently um, to participate, you know, in events with our family and things like that. We'd go back to Pennsylvania um and so it was very lonely um and it can be very lonely has been especially lonely uh being a ukrainian american living in rural west virginia people Mm. don't understand um especially like in hardy county where i live um but they're trying to like i write articles for the local newspaper about the war what it means to be ukrainian american um and I find, like, the the assumption, um, you know, in terms of being a West Virginian is, like, when I, I travel to other places and I say, like, oh, I'm a Ukrainian-American in West Virginia, people, like, don't understand, like, why I have stayed. Um, hmm. And, yeah, and part of the reason I have stayed is I, I do like solitude. I like the mountains. I like being close to nature. And, it is very difficult at times being away from the Ukrainian American community, which centers me. But, you know, there's events like this in Baltimore. I have a a Ukrainian community in Harrisonburg, Virginia, which is 40 minutes from where I live that I'm I'm active in. Um, And so, you know, like that's just one of the hurdles um, I have to overcome, Um, you know, and then in terms of being a poet, um, I think one of the, one of the most common assumptions is like, that people kind of make is like, that's all I do is write poetry. <laughs> <laughs> they they kind of make the stereotypical associations with me that they do with poets. Um, and as you know, like those have perpetuated for a very long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know and uh, like right now i'm using my poetry as an advocacy uh for ukrainian culture which is something i have actually done for many years because for me poetry is a space to um explore my ukrainian identity especially like in the context of living in rural west virginia um and right now like my family and i are so affected by this war that actually my poetry has become a space for me to process my my sadness, my grief, my anger, um, my disbelief about what is happening in mm-hmm. Ukraine right now.
0: Yeah, it really matters to also be writing articles of in the local community and in the regional community where you live. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think that it's one of the things that's important, and I've, you know, to be honest, I've thought this myself. I mean, I'm a politically progressive person living in a very conservative part of <laughs> Pennsylvania and but you know we can't all live in Brooklyn um, I think it's important to also be you know bloom where you're where you're planted and the fact that you choose to live in a place which might not be the always the the easiest as far as your identity is also something that uh, is an act of advocacy saying, I'm going to keep living here.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's very interesting because some of the assumptions that like people, you you know, and don't get me wrong. The people in my area are very kind. They're very generous people. Um, But as the editor of the local newspaper says, she goes, you know, these are these are people who like to them Myrtle Beach is a foreign country yeah um and some of the assumptions that they they make about me as a Ukrainian american are sometimes like very harsh i mean especially when they see some of the um conservative and alt right rhetoric about like what's actually happening in ukraine and and the corruption like i had a a local minister say to me a couple months ago that the war was justified and, you know, Zelensky was as corrupt as Putin. Um, Oh geez. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, I run into, run into things like that and, you know, there are these, I want to say like very harsh assumptions that sometimes people make about me uh, based on my, um, based on being Ukrainian American and, you know, because they don't understand You know that we're not in the old Soviet Union anymore. Like, yeah, it's very evident that Putin would like to rebuild that. But you know, one of the reasons my family is in the United States is because we didn't want to live under communism. (laughs) Yeah. So, so you know, and people will say to me, like, you know, that just things, you know, like oh, like Ukrainians are just Russians, and I'm like, no, we're not. Like, actually, for centuries. We've had our own language, we've had our own culture, we've had our our own identity. It's just that uh, Russian colonialism has, you know, spread like a cancer, and unfortunately, tried to eliminate, you know, the the identity, the languages, et cetera, of basically all the former Soviet states.
0: Well, and I think, as with um, as with other. Identities, just just living amongst our our, na- <clears throat> our neighbors, and you know, being who you are, and showing your your life itself shows that you're not part of the stereotype, and that's probably <laughs> well the strongest, um, just strongest thing we can always do. Any of us as a kind of witness is to say, all right, this is your initial assumption is this, but if you get to know me, then and those are the things that really stick because then you realize, oh, this is that I know this actual person or this actual family, this actual community. And it isn't what I originally thought. So I think we, we need to always remember how important that is and just the way that we are treating each other in, in all of the communities in which we're, we're moving Yes. Do you have another poem for us?
1: I do. And um, this, this poem is actually being featured in um, a forthcoming anthology uh, from an independent press. Um, and when I wrote the poem, it didn't initially have a title, but for the anthology, I needed a title. So it's called The Ache of War Settles Behind the Eyes. The ache of war settles behind the eyes in the sockets, quiet place near the optic nerve, the muscles connecting conjunctiva. Some days the ache doesn't arrive at its normal 6 a.m. wake up time. It remains settled in ducks, weary from another strike on a playground sandbox where a child looked down too soon mistook the heavy whistle for an unknown type of bird. Some days it arrives at 3.30 p.m. just as Depeche modes overloading the car stereo and you're stopped behind a yellow school bus watching a blue-haired teenage girl check her phone as she walks to her mailbox. And you think of the journalist who tweeted, my parents in Kherson chose their graves today, one beside the other. They fashioned their own crucifixes. Other times it's midnight, and you're lying in bed with the cat, staring at the digital clock's angry red glare, remembering your last trip to Kiev, the river's five AM mist slow and whispering, an empty sidewalk along the dock the peace of prayer as you stood outside, St. Nicholas's Chapel thinking, Grandfather, is that you waving from the other shore?"
0: Mm, Thank you. I'm just thinking about the river's 5am-ness and how perfect that is without being able to say exactly why, but I know what you mean. (laughs) 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 Thank you. You're welcome. Mm, Thank you for that. Do you have some suggestions for Ukrainian poets and writers that uh, we should be reading right now? Yes.
1: So, if you're interested in Ukrainian literature, I want to start with presses who yeah. are who are publishing Ukrainian voices in translation, because uh, that. They need support. They're doing wonderful work. Many of them are working at warp speed to release publications. So some of my favorite um, presses who are working in translation right now are Lost Horse Press.
0: Mm. Oh yeah.
1: yeah, they they just released um, or will be releasing the Ukrainian American. Uh, Poet Olena Jennings, she has a collection coming out. She's a a fabulous translator, has done translation for years in order to uplift Ukrainian voices. Lost Horse also published um, Luba Yakimchuk's The Apricots of Donbass, which is a fantastic collection which gives insight to actually like what is happening in the East um, Harvard Ukrainian Research Institute also publishes a wide variety of fiction, nonfiction, poetry. They have numerous titles that everyone should be able to to find something uh, there to read. And then there's a smaller press called Kalina Language Press, who is run by the fantastic translator Stephen Komarniskiy. Stephen is a fabulous British-Ukrainian poet. He's also a wonderful translator. And in terms of individual authors, right now, probably the most popular Ukrainian poet um, to read is Sergei Zhidon. He is also a novelist. He has the the novel The Orphanage. Um, he has the no- a novel titled Depeche Mode. Which covers like the fall of the Soviet Union and the consequences that had for Ukraine and establishing Ukrainian identity. But he's also a fantastic poet. He has numerous poetry collections, and he's also in a rock band. <laughs> <laughs> All so right. yeah, and you like readers should also explore like historical Ukrainian literature. I always like as a Ukrainian American. I'm reading not only like what's contemporary, like Jodan and Yokinchuk and writers like that. Uh, the novelist Volodymyr Rafienko, uh, he writes in Russian, but he's a Ukrainian writer. His novels are, are very Kafkaesque. I recommend him. But I also return to the especially Ukrainian female voices who, when I was in my 20s and really struggling with my Ukrainian identity versus my American identity made me examine myself and say, "Yes, this is what I am. Like I cannot deny the traditions I I was brought up with. Like I don't have to agree with everything about them, but they are part of who I am." So writers like Lina Kostenko, mm. who is a, was is and was a fantastic poet. Um, she was part of what was the equivalent of, like, the Ukrainian beatnik movement. And at the beginning of the war, she was sitting in a bomb shelter in Kiev.
0: (laughs) Mm, Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, and so, but also, like, Oksana Zabushko, who is a fabulous poet, a fabulous novelist. She writes a lot about Ukrainian female identity um, and how, you know, in in Ukrainian culture, women are such a strong force, even though historically it's been a patriarchal society. But in modern Ukraine, we can look at the armed forces, for example, and see that women have really gained um, an almost equal platform with men, because there are currently 50,000 Ukrainian women serving in the Ukrainian armed forces, many of them in combat roles. So I I constantly return to what I I refer to as the Ukrainian literary greats, mm-hmm. um, and that's just a small list because these publishers I, I referenced, they're doing fantastic work in finding new new Ukrainian writers, um, and, and bringing those to English speaking audiences. As I said, and the last one I'll mention is that last author I'll mention is a Ukrainian man who was in a Russian concentration camp in eastern Ukraine. And this was even before the the current invasion. Uh, his name is Stanislav Oseyev. He has a, a very interesting, heartbreaking, gut-wrenching book published by Harvard Ukrainian Research Institute titled In Isolation, and it details his imprisonment in one of these camps
0: hmm. oh. thank you very much for those you're very welcome another thing lost horse press has incredible graphic design it's aesthetically a very nice press too. They,
1: they do and the thing i love too is they have the dual language editions which i really appreciate since yes. i speak and read ukrainian I love to just sit down with a piece of work like in Ukrainian and you know work through it and absorb that emotion and absorb the language but then like when I taught Ukrainian literature at my former institution it was great to have that English accessibility with for well for my students and we could talk about the nuances of tra- translation.
0: Yeah, and having uh, having one of those uh a dual language edition is is unbeatable for that that's really nice. yes well, I'd like to leave you with um, <laughs> with a a pair of questions. Um, one is what do you wish people would stop asking you and the other <laughs> is what do you wish people would ask you more often?
1: So <laughs> what do I wish people would stop asking me. Uh, that's a good question, and I think I think the question I wish they would stop asking me currently. This this would probably have been a very different answer years ago. Is do I think Ukraine will win the war? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and I get this. I actually this goes. This answer will connect to the identity question you asked because I do receive this question a lot from my neighbors and people people like that my coworkers and i i do think ukraine will win the war because we ukrainians we ukrainians in the diaspora like we know what is at stake if we don't hmm. and Ha, the areas, many areas of Ukraine have lived with Russian occupation since 2014, 2015. And that's what people forget is this war actually began eight years ago. So do I think Ukraine will win the war? Yes, I do. I, I think you only have to look at um, the, the outcome. This was supposed to be a three day war. Kiev mm-hmm. was supposed to fall in three days. And Putin was supposed to install his puppet government and, and that was going to be it for Ukraine. And here we are almost six and a half months later. Um and and Ukraine began their counteroffensive and of course they've requested radio silence and but from sources I have uh connections with, they say, you know, things are going very well. Hmm. In terms of like questions a question that I wish people would ask me more. And this, this is going to sound very odd. I wish people would ask, what can we do to help? Hmm. And there are so many fundraisers. There are so many church groups. There are so many community organizations who are already helping, but because Ukraine doesn't appear in the American headlines anymore. Like people have lost focus and some of these fundraisers have lost traction and they're still doing very, very good work. For example, there's good bread, which is based out of Kyiv. They are an organization that provides jobs for people with disabilities. And at the same time, they're a huge bakery where these people work and they're providing food for communities, soldiers, et cetera. Hmm. And right now Ukraine is facing winter just as all of Europe is. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and in fact, some of the fundraisers today uh, at the Ukrainian festival here in Baltimore will go to provide humanitarian relief for citizens and, and soldiers to help them through winter. So, What do what can I do to help is a very important question that we Ukrainians, we Ukrainian diaspora members really do appreciate because we have connections. We can connect people with verified fundraisers, verified organizations. And I think people are so afraid that they're being scammed. And I understand that hesitation. But, you know, if you
0: ask someone that
1: you, you know, and you trust, they're not going to mislead you.
0: Yeah, that's a very good point. Just, And these are exactly the people to ask, <laughs> who knows. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for your time today, Nicole.
1: You're very welcome. I have really enjoyed it.
0: You've been listening to The Seminary Explorers. I'm Katie Gebenhine. My guest has been poet and essayist, Nicole Yerkaba. Look for her new book later this year, at blackspringspressgroup.com. Thank you so much, Nicole, and have a great time at the festival. Thank you. (laughs) You have been listening to The Seminary Explores, a production of United Lutheran Seminary with campuses in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We invite you to visit our website at unitedlutheranseminary.edu. All opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of United Lutheran Seminary or the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America.